I want to start today by sharing with you um, what I would call the principle of the first follower. The principle of the first follower. Uh, Pastor Kelly and Joylin, I do need you up on stage for an illustration. I apologize. Thank you. Um, let's give them a hand one more time as they come there. Okay. The principle of the first follower. Why don't you just kind of stand right here? Yep. So the principle of the first follower goes something like this. For, for leaders to lead, you know, you know a, first, a pastor, a first chair leader, if you will. For leaders to lead, it takes some courage. It takes some guts. It takes some faith. Like faith to believe Southern Alberta could be different because of what you're doing in this house. Like faith to believe Lethbridge could be a fundamentally different city. The kingdom of God coming in greater measure because of what you'll do. But for a leader to lead and have courage and faith, let's be honest, they got to be a little bit crazy. I mean, right? Yep. Am I wrong? <laughs> crazy enough to believe things could be different. Crazy enough to believe anyone else is going to believe in the dream in your heart. There's a little bit of fear attached to leading too. When you step out, is anyone going to be there with us? So for leaders to lead, you know, John Maxwell says, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just out for a walk. <laughs> I'm going to rephrase that and say, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just a nut job. You're just crazy, okay? You're just, just, just a crazy, crazy person that could believe. But when a leader gains their first follower, it's the first follower that transforms crazy people into leaders, um, Joel and Tanisha, why don't you guys come up for a second? So it is when a leader gains their first follower. It's actually the first follower. Come around uh, right over here. Sorry, I'm making a pregnant lady do all the work this morning. That's rude. Um, it is the first followers that transform um, Great, you know, nut jobs into leaders. I'm, I was trying to find a nicer way to say that, but that, that's, that's how it's coming to me today. The, in other words, it's the first follower that says, I, I believe in you. I, I believe in the call of God on your life. I believe in the dream in your heart. And I'm in. I'm in heart and soul. I'm in with you. Like, now we can do something. Because this couple that has a dream in their heart now has... Someone standing beside them saying, let's go. This is Jonathan's armor bearer to Jonathan in the face of a really big ask. First Samuel 14. A really big vision. Two men taking on a hostile enemy, Middle East outpost. And Jonathan's armor bearer saying, go. Do all that's in your heart. I am with you, heart and soul. Okay, I need about five or six other people just a, a, a group of people now to come up. Anyone who wants your 15 minutes of fame, this is your, this is your moment right now. Um, great, perfect. Just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Okay, and line up right over here by Joel and Tanisha. So as, as the movement starts, it becomes easier and easier for people to join what's going on. There, there's, there's now life in the house. 
and there's strength around the vision, and more and more people begin to get activated saying, man, I love what's in our pastor's heart. I'm with our pastor's heart and soul. And, and as, as time goes on, the movement gains some strength and some momentum. Here's the point I'm trying to make with all of this. That the first followers of a church, I believe, are an underestimated form of leadership. Think about this. We love our pastors. We follow our pastors. We believe in the dream in our pastor's heart. We believe in God's calling on our pastor's lives. But we actually behave more like the first followers than we do our pastors. The, the vision of the house comes from the first seat. But oftentimes the values, the behavior, the personality comes from the first followers. Think about it. It's, it's the first followers that are showing up at your kid's birthday party, that are showing up at your hospital room when you're sick, that are, um, that are there for you. It, not that your pastors are not, but do you get my point? This is an underestimated space of leadership. And a long time ago, I began to see that in the church life, and I think you'd agree with me on this, and in ministry, we put a lot of emphasis here, and rightly so. We give honor where honor is due to our leaders, amen? They are worthy of double honor, those who lead us. But I'm coming here today uh, with a mission, a mission to awaken in you for you to see that you're not just a cog in a wheel around here. That you're not just a green check mark on planning center going into the weekend. That you are, every single one of you, if you're here today, you are a first follower in this house. Uh, you are creating more alignment and, and health and strength in this house than you know. This church loves, churches love their pastors, but they follow the first followers. And so you have a greater impact on your house than you realize. And then, you know, thank you guys. Give them a hand for uh, being volunteers this morning. Thank you guys. The principle of the first follower, the first follower is an underestimated form of leadership. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What I'm going to share with you today was taught to me in my 20s. Easily the greatest revelation of my life in ministry to date, easily. Before we die, well, let's read it. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ, look how he's writing this, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Someone turn to your neighbor and say faithful. Turn to your second choice neighbor and say faithful. <laughs> Acknowledge them. Okay, context matters in Scripture. Scripture cannot mean to us what it did not mean to original hearers. So context matters. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing to the, the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church. This is a church that he founded. This is a church that sees him as a father figure in the faith. And while dad has been away, he's been on a journey, while dad has been away, 
the house uh, has got a little messy. Uh, they're dealing with, with quite a number of issues and uh, culture from the world is seeping in and dad's not happy. And so dad is writing a letter to kind of clean up the house a little bit. Anyone ever walked into a really messy room? I know none of your houses are messy right now. Just think of the last time you walked into somebody else's. You know, um, you walked into a messy room. It can be overwhelming, right? Like, where do we start? And the only place to start is you just kind of start picking up something over here, and then you pick up something over there, and then you pick up something over here, and pretty soon the house is clean. That's why if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, he just zigzags and weaves from topic to topic to topic to topic. It's like dad's cleaning up the house. Dad is setting the house in order. And now he is on to the subject of leadership. He's on to the subject of leadership saying, I got a few things to say about us as leaders. He's defending himself, but he's also sharing a biblical lens, a biblical look into church leadership. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. How many of you know the gospel is a great mystery? He says we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Think about this. The gospel is a great mystery. How does this work? How did we all come together? It's a mystery. Can you explain it? How does a perfect God, a sovereign God, a holy God, come to an earth he created to seek and save lost and broken humanity? Like, how does that work? It's a mystery. How, how does it work that we are joint heirs with Christ? That'll blow your mind. It's a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. The world thinks we're fools. The world thinks we're absolutely off our rocker. But we're not. We just know we're alive in the great mystery of God. This beautiful, incredible mystery that I have been saved and called out of darkness and into light. And my past is not my future. And I have a hope in the midst of chaos, like I, I can be steady when the world feels like it's shaking. Like, how does all that work? Show me how right now God is speaking same, the same thing to churches all over this world without us coordinating. How does it work? What is it? It's a, it's a mystery. Think about this. How did, how did this church come to be? How did your church? Like, it's a mystery. I wonder if you have eyes to see what is special about your house. I wonder if you have eyes to see what is beautiful about your house. When I talk to leaders, I realize that, you know, like sometimes like in this house, let's talk parallel church for a minute. In this house, your house is a lot like mine where we are stewarding churches today. Where... Men and women of God have gone before us for decades and built something and given and sown so that we could have something today. Think about it. The chair you're sitting in today, someone didn't go on a vacation so they could give in an offering to buy a chair so that someone could sit in it for years and hear the gospel preached to them. Like you're sitting on someone's sacrifice today. That's beautiful. 
when I'm home on the weekend, when I'm here today, I, I am standing on a platform I did not build, naturally or spiritually. Someone else built this and paved the way for this. Like how, how did all that work? It's just a mystery. When I think of, of new church, church plants, new campuses, I think of courageous men and women and teams that are crazy enough to believe a, a city could be different yet again with a new expression of faith in a campus or a church. Like, I hope you have eyes to see, is what I'm saying, how special what you're a part of is. And that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking here. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. We, my friends, have been entrusted with this mystery, the, the most sacrificial, selfless men and women of God who have ever walked the earth, Christian leaders, disciples, greatest people who have ever touched this planet. The world, Hebrews chapter 10 says, the world is not worthy of them. Like, like we have today inherited a, a kingdom. We have inherited a movement that for 2,000 years, men and women have been willing to go to the greatest lengths to be risk their lives, to smuggle Bibles across borders, to stand and build churches, to defy governments. Like the greatest men and women on the his, in the history of the world are our heritage. And it's like today, the baton of faith is in our hands. Like, so what you walked into here today in the church, in a gathering of leaders, this is anything but normal. This is anything but common. This is anything but a time waster on a Saturday morning. You're like, why in the world, you know, did I, did I skip being at home this morning? Because you came here because the mystery has awakened in you. And we are stewards today. We are holding today the very mystery of God. Okay, let's keep moving. So, Paul is using two phrases here. I find this absolutely fascinating. Paul is using two distinct phrases to describe leaders. Servants of Christ. They're both beautiful. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, let's, let's look at the original words. What is a servant? There's a lot of words in the Greek for servant. So the word that's used here, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, hyperitas, anybody speak Greek? All right, nope, neither do I. Um, that word, it means an under rower on a ship. It means a, a low servant, but it also refers to a servant Serving as a free man. I want you to hear this. Not a slave, but a servant serving as a free man. In other words, the servant could go somewhere else, but they voluntarily choose to make themselves low to follow the master's orders. It speaks to a servant that would obey without question. A servant that would voluntarily make themselves low and, and, and participate in something bigger than themselves. Isn't that beautiful, by the way? That we are servants of Christ. That we are free men and free women, yet we voluntarily make ourselves low for the cause of Christ. We, we voluntarily make church about picking up a towel and serving and making a way for others to come and know Jesus. Isn't that incredible? It's beautiful. And, and, and that, that would be enough. That would be enough. 
But then the Apostle Paul says something else, and this is what I find so interesting, is he doesn't stop there. While that would be enough, he doesn't stop there. And he says we're servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So what's a steward? Because we don't use that word. What's a steward? A steward was a manager of the household. He was the second in charge. On behalf of the owner, the steward led. He managed the house, managed the finances of the house, managed the other household servants. Think about it. To the master, the steward was a slave. But to the other slaves or servants, the steward was a master. He was leading in the middle. He was, if you want to say it, leading second. He was leading while not in charge. And this is where my ministry call came alive years ago when I heard this taught. I realized that's my place in the body of Christ. That I follow a pastor. I serve in a church. I serve, I'm not a lead pastor. I don't want to be a lead pastor. God would really have to work on my heart. I think, I think they're crazy. Um, I think they're awesome, but they're crazy. And, and I, just, I, don't want to, I just want to hold their arms up. I just want to see everything that's in their heart, everything that God has placed in their heart, become a reality. Like, I'm willing to go second and be second to hold up somebody else's arms. And, and as I started looking around in the body of Christ, I started realizing for most of us, that's our place in the church. For mo John Maxwell says 99% of all leadership in an organization comes from the middle, not from the top. And most people, if you think about it, most people will not spend their lives as CEO, as president, as owner, most people will lead from the middle. Most people will lead while not ultimately being in charge. This is a space we have to learn. This is a space that we have to master. And as I've tried to demonstrate with the first follower, this is a space that's having a dramatic effect on your church today. Our churches are at sizes where when people come in the front doors on a Sunday, it's highly likely they don't meet the pastor on their first visit. So think about it. Their entire perception of the church is not based on the pastor. It's based on the whole group of leading second first followers. I've, I've um, done ministry for pastors before that were on sabbatical for two, three, four months. And I think pastors is a little scary. They don't quite know what they're coming back to, you know, at the end of at the end of that, and it's, it's always amazing to me because what's, what's happened in some of those seasons is people will come to the church, they'll go through growth track, and they'll start serving and never have met their lead pastor. How does that happen? It's because we're a part of something a whole lot bigger than one man, a whole lot bigger than one couple. We are stewards. They, they encountered the stewards of the house, the, the stewards of the mysteries of God. And Paul is saying here, this is what sets the house in order. Remember, Paul's ordering the house. And he's saying this is what sets the house in order. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This will mess with your head. 
This will mess with your head that the, the, the thing that tells you you've got to be out front to matter. You've got to be the one whose name is in lights to matter. You've got to be the one whose thing goes viral to matter. This will mess with your head and remind you, no, there's something a whole lot bigger going on in the kingdom than we, than we realize. Amen? Okay, let's keep going. So in verse 1, Paul says this, let a man so consider us. By the way, I hope for anyone that's around even tomorrow, I hope that you'll see the hour, just a side note, I'm trying to stick as close to scripture as possible. It's going to feel a little bit like Bible school at times, but I kind of feel like we need it right now. I feel like we need to dig back into original intent, original meaning of scripture. The next time you're reading scripture, by the way, don't just ask yourself, what does this mean to me? It's not the right question to ask. Ask yourself, what did this mean to its original hearers? And then determine what that means to me. Anyways, little, that's like a whole year of Bible school just right there, you know. <laughs> because we've created a lot of bad theology by asking ourselves, what does this scripture mean to me? And in our day of self-authority, we need to get back to the authority of the word of God as primary in our lives. Amen. So, okay, sorry, I got to keep going. If you, <laughs> I'm a little bothered by a couple things right now. So um, he says, let a man so consider us. What does that word mean? Consider us. That word means to wrestle. That word means to reckon with. He's saying, I need you to reckon with something here. I need you to, Paul was often in defense of his ministry. He was often in defense of his place in the body of Christ, and he, all, he's, he often in his writings offers us wrestles on how to see leadership, and this is one of them. He's saying, I need you to wrestle with something. I need you to come to terms with something. Years ago, mid-20s for me, uh, years ago, I was driving in the car one day, and, and I was in full-time ministry. Again, I hate that term, but I was doing it, and I was on our church staff, but it hit me one day. And the thought hit me, would I be faithful in ministry if I was never the lead pastor? Because I think somewhere along the way I was told that was what success was. I think somewhere along the way I, I bought into some thought that, that was kind of the, the conveyor belt I was on. And I asked myself, what if I never pastor our church? What if that never happens for me? And I'm just being honest with you, it was a wrestle for me. It was a wrestle. It was something I had to come to terms with. But the more I, I prayed about it, the more I wrestled with it, the more I leaned into it, I began to think, no, that's, that's not my calling. That's not who I am. That's not the grace that's on my life. And so I'm going to share with you three or four points, and they're going to offer you some wrestle today. These are wrestles that I have been in for years. These are things I've tried to answer well over the years in ministry when it comes to stewarding the mysteries of God. And I'm going to offer you some of the things that have, I've had to wrestle with most in ministry. And I believe if you'll wrestle with these things, I believe God will do a great work in your heart like he's done in mine all for the goal of being found faithful. So here's, here's the first one. Let's go quickly through these three or four. Number one, leading second is a calling. Leading second, like stewards. 
Leading second is a calling. It's not a stepping stone. It's not a time waster. It's not a time killer. Here, here's one for you. I'll mess with some of the preaching you've heard over the years. We, we've often treated the second chair like this place of preparation, like this waiting room that God has for you while you're on your way somewhere else. It's not a bad thought. I've taught the thought. I don't mind the thought. I love the idea of how God prepares us. I, I, I even thought about teaching that later today. Uh, but, but here's the thought. I think that actually does a slight disservice to us. For this reason, it creates discontentment around where we're at today. And I, so, no, leading second is not this, like, holding pattern you're in until God takes you to the actual destination. No, no, no. What if this is actually your assignment? What if it's actually your calling? Now, leading second for me has looked very different over the years. It's had different, different um, seasons, different roles. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I'm just offering you this wrestle today. What if that's your calling? I was just at a church planting conference this week. I love saying this at a church planting conference. It drives people nuts. Um, you know, literally, one of, our, one of our nation's, both of our nation's best church planting conferences, and I said this line. I said, God has called you to plant a church. Go do it because you'll be miserable if you don't. But if God has not called you <laughs> to plant a church and you bought into some idea somewhere that that's what success looks like, you're going to be miserable if you do it. If we leave and we don't recognize the beauty of the assignment that's on our lives to lead from the second chair. Leading second is a calling. Number two, leading second is not a call to a position, title, or box on the org chart. Leading second is a call to an attitude of the heart. It's not a call to a, to a title a role, you're not called to be the worship leader. You're not called to be the usher's team leader. I know you've been doing it for 40 years. You're not called to be the usher's team leader. Hold that really, really open-handed. I just messed with someone really bad right there. Uh, like you're not called. <laughs> you're called to the house. You're called to your pastor. You're called into ministry. But I would argue your greater calling is a call to an attitude. A call to, leading second is not about where you sit on the chain of command. Leading second is about the attitude and spirit that you carry to your work and to your ministry. Think about it. I'm married. I can be technically married. I can have... The ring, I, I lost my ring years ago, by the way, so I have a tattoo, so I would just not have to deal with that again. Um, I can have a ring. I can have a marriage certificate. I can have a trip planned for my wedding anniversary that I'm going to Instagram about from the beach and make everybody jealous. Like, I can have all the things lined up. I can be married technically, but not be married in my heart. Because the position and title are different than the attitude of the heart. And I see so many people in, in ministry and so many people in church life who have the org chart box, they have the title, they have the position, they have the job description, but that something has infected their heart. 
And I want to, I guess, just call you to a purity of attitude of heart toward ministry, toward Jesus, toward your house, toward your pastor. And the beautiful thing about this, this therefore means anyone in the church can lead second. You don't have to be the campus pastor to lead second. You don't have to be on the church staff to lead second. You could be the first year intern that we make clean all the toilets around here and you still get to say, I'm leading second. Because it's not a position, it's not a title, it's an attitude. It's a spirit. Say, I'm leading around. I was leading far before I ever got a title or a role. I just so badly wanted to see our church move forward. I so badly wanted to steward the vision that was in my pastor's heart. Today, honest to God, I do not have a title at my church. I do not, I have no clue what I do, to be really honest. But you know what I do? I show up and I add value wherever I can. I show up and I create alignment wherever I can. I show up and I speak life into leaders and I coach leaders. I literally do not have a title. But I have a seat at the table, not because of a role, but because of a, of a value I bring and an alignment I create in the house. So you can lead second regardless of the season. Anyone in the church, anyone in the house can lead second. Number three. Leading second is a call to be uncommon. This is maybe one of my favorite points of this talk. Leading second is a call to be uncommon. This is a call to distinction, not a call to superiority. It's the principle of the distinction of the believer. We are not better than but we are different from. It is a call to be the exception to the rules. Our God is in the position of making his people the exception to the rules. Do you understand that? You are a son of God. You are a daughter. Like You are a child of God. Of the king. Men don't go into lion's dens and come out unharmed. But with Daniel, God made an exception, a distinction. It says of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel distinguished himself. He was leading second, by the way. He was, lead, he was like, like one, of the, one of the three people that was kind of second in charge of the whole kingdom. He was leading second. He was so good, the king thought about just giving him everything. So he was leading second, but it says he distinguished himself. Why? Because an excellent spirit was within him. Because leading second's an attitude of the heart. He distinguished. Like, you can be the one that stays planted when all of your friends leave church over bogus reasons. You can be the one that honors God when it feels like everyone is dishonoring right now. Like you can be the one that is faithful. Man, I remember back in the day, being at youth camp, my daughter is about to go to her first youth camp in a couple weeks. God help us all. I, I cannot fathom that I have a middle schooler who's going to be at youth camp this year. I remember being at youth camp. I remember coming up to the altar and praying, and there were hundreds of us up there. Hundreds saying, God, use me. God, I'm in. 
God, I want everything you have for me. But to be honest, at 40, I look around and a lot of those people aren't there anymore. Not judging, just saying. A lot of people got distracted. A lot of people fell off. And I just decided a long time ago, I'm going to be the one that goes the distance. Like, I'm going to be the one that's rocking my skinny jeans at 60, still up on the platform saying, our God is good. His church is beautiful. You, you can be the one that is found faithful. You can be the exception to the rules is what I'm calling you to do. Of all the words that the Bible writers use to describe believers, normal is not one of them. <laughs> Called, chosen, the elect, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart, marked, chosen, salt, light. Think about it. People did not come from miles around to hear Jesus because Jesus was normal. The, the early church did not give their lives for the gospel because it was normal. I think I've made my case this morning. Like, leading second is a call to be uncommon. I remember sitting in Bible school and um, small little, you know, couple-year-old Bible school at my church. And the speaker that day said, he, he named some statistic. Lord only knows where he got it. But he said, you know, one in ten Bible school students will end up in full-time ministry. And I looked around the room, and there was exactly 10 of us. And I was like, suckas. You know, like, I, I'm, I, I'm the one, you know. So I guess y'all are just out of luck, you know, is, is what, I'm, what I'm thinking. And thankfully, actually, a lot of my friends are, a lot of that group is still in ministry today. But I just remember thinking, I'm going to be the one. It was, it's been a lonely road sometimes. It's been a road where I had to peel off from my friends. It's been a road where I've had to just stay faithful and stay anchored. But I just figure leading second is a call to be uncommon. The, the, the same distinction in the form of God's anointing that rested on Jesus now rests in you. You have resurrection power on the inside of you. It's time as believers that we awaken to our distinction. Amen. We're not better than. But we are different from. And then finally, leading second is a call to shift. It's a call to shift. Someone turn to your neighbor and say, holy shift. It's called Christian cussing. Someone turn to your other neighbor and say, shift happens. We did a series called Shift years ago. We used all those jokes. It was great. Okay. Leading second is a call to shift. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So remember, Paul is making a distinction here. How many of you know there's a difference between renting a car and owning a car? I bought a new car last year. We had a baby. I didn't get my Jeep. I got the dad car. But it's great. I love it. It's awesome. I am the guy that fiercely details the car. I am the guy that has the monthly car wash subscription so I can go every day if I want. Like, I'm, I am that guy. I take care of it. You don't eat in my car. Like, you, like we, don't, we don't bring smelly things into the car. Why do I do that? Because it's my car. I own it. I also have to make a payment for that car. 
I have to pay insurance on that car. I take care of that car. My family has to get into that car. I don't want them getting into trash. Like, like, I, like I, I take pride in my car. I have never one time detailed a rental car. I will return that thing full of junk, full of garbage. You'll think I lived out of that thing for a couple days on a trip. Why, why that way? It's not my car. I just have it for a couple days and then pay a couple bucks for it and, and I get to return it. I get to give it back. Because there's a difference between renting and owning. And I wonder today, are you renting the vision of this house or are you owning the vision of this house? Do you have the spirit of a renter? Or do you have an owner? Like, like this vision is mine. I own it. Because what I see here is I see a shift in this verse. A shift from serving to owning, stewarding somebody else's property. Do you know this shift happens several times in Scripture? I believe it's John chapter 15, I want to say. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants. Servant does not know his master's business. I call you friends. You could say sons. You could say stewards. But think about that. Like we're supposed to serve. Like we talk about serving in church life. But Jesus is saying, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. I call you stewards. The, par- the, the parable of the prodigal son is a, is a story of a shift. Think about it. One of the sons understood stood serving, and the other son understood sonship. The one that understood sonship was the prodigal. He didn't understand serving. But think about the audacity of it. He walked into his father one day and said, give me everything that's mine. He understood he was a son. It was actually the very thing that brought him home. It was because he realized, I'm a son. The other son, the older son, didn't re- he didn't understand sonship. He understood servanthood. He was out in the fields working. He was out in the fields serving. But he got resentful at the party thrown for his brother because he truly didn't understand sonship in his heart. He didn't understand stewardship in his heart. Does that make sense to you? That this shift happens several times in the New Testament. And I, I guess I'm calling you today. What I asked God to do, we're, Paul is reordering the church. I asked God to reorder your heart today. I asked God to spark a shift on the inside of you that you would shift today. Not just serving Christ. Yes, that would be enough. But that God would, would spark a shift and affirm a ministry call in you that you are not just a servant of Christ. You are a steward of the mysteries of God that you would shift today. Renting to owning. Servants of Christ. I'm going to switch over to something really fast. I didn't give this to the team, but I feel led to say this. I want to talk for just a minute. Can, can I? Are we good? Like, we'll take a bathroom break in a second. I didn't give this to the team, so just write fast. (laughs) 
A servant serves a vision. But a steward owns the vision. As if it were their own. A servant serves out of obligation or duty. But a steward leaves with leads with passion and conviction. Passion, by the way, the Bible word for passion is suffering. Just so you know. <laughs> what are you willing to suffer for? What are you willing to sacrifice for determines what you love. Here's an important one. A servant focuses on a task, but a steward focuses on fruit and profit. Now think about this. A servant focuses on a task. A steward focuses on fruit and profit. Think about the last time you were at a restaurant and you had the owner come by and fill up your water. They don't have to do that. They have hired people to do that. Why did that owner fill up your glass of water? Why? Because it matters to them that you come back. It matters to them that you leave a good Yelp review. It matters to them that you bring all your friends next time and you have your birthday party there and you spend $300 at a table the next time you're there. It matters to them. And so, hey, if the forward movement of this restaurant means I have to fill up a glass of water. Hey, somebody give me a towel. Somebody give me a pitcher. Somebody give me a customer. And I'm just there to serve. I'm just there to, because it's not about the task anymore. It's about the forward movement of the thing. That's when you'll know you've shifted. Is when you show up, if you show up at, at church to just kind of check your box and fulfill your green check on the planning center roster and be done, you're a servant. But if you show up saying, how can I move this church forward today? How can I own this vision today? You know what you'll do? That'll find you doing things you'll never get the credit for. No one will ever see. But you're doing it out of passion and conviction because if, if I have this conversation, if I encourage this person, if I connect with this person, if I do this task, I am moving the church forward today. That's the heart of a steward, stewarding the mysteries of God. Okay, a servant has visible areas of responsibility, so titles, position. That's a servant. But a steward is serving an invisible assignment. A steward is serving an invisible assignment. My pastor, honestly, may or may not know where I'm at today. I don't know. I'll often get a text from him today that goes something like this. Where in the world are you? <laughs> I'm aligned with him. I'm with him. But you know what I'm doing? I'm on mission. This is what we're doing. This is, this is what we do. And that's, that's his facetious way of saying, I know you're out there on mission today. You know? I know you're out there doing what we do, building the church. Because it's not about a title, position, job. It's about an invisible assignment. Two more. A servant serves where is best for them. A steward serves where is best for the house. <laughs> 
hey, I'm all for a personality test. I'm all for Enneagram. I'm all for you knowing your spiritual gifts. Sign me up for all that. I love it. I love when you're in ministry in a place that you're gifted. I love that. But we have made an idol of those things at times. And we have given ourselves an out to not do anything that's like not in my gifting. Sometimes a steward just has to step up and say, I'm going to serve where is best for the house today. One time at our women's conference, um, the, you know, the first night of the women's conference, there was no shuttle driver. Guess who figured out how to drive a shuttle really fast around that parking lot? <clears throat> Sorry. Two, like two or three of us guys, we got in there and we're like, hey, we're just going to make a bunch of ladies' days, you know? Like the guys showing up with the shuttle at the women's conference. Like why? We're, 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 we're stewarding the mysteries of God, the vision that's on our house. Amen? Thank you. You're awesome. It's okay. He just made a terrible mess. That was awesome. <laughs> and finally, this is an important one. This might go over some of your heads, but I'm okay with it. A servant learns obedience through restriction. A steward walks in obedience through release. What does that mean? When you have a kid, you teach them obedience by giving them a curfew. And when they're older, you just say, use good judgment. Right? I, in the early days of ministry, I had to get yeses and nos to do anything. Can I go do this? Can I go do that? Yes, no. And that's how we all start. We learn obedience. We learn a heart through the house through those early days. But there will come a day where you'll, you'll, you'll be entrusted with more. You'll be entrusted with and you'll have more freedom. And like I, the joke today, you know, my pastor may or may not know where I'm at. It's because I've built trust. I've built alignment. And um, I've not violated that trust. I hold the trust I have with my leader in the highest regard. Because I'm not a servant of Christ. I'm a steward of, the, of our house. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. So we're going to take a break here in a minute. But I don't know if there's anything more important we'll talk about today, honestly. If you'll wrestle through what this means for you. If you'll let Jesus affirm your ministry call that he's placed on your life. It says at the end of this verse, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. I don't know if we have any greater target in ministry right now than to be found faithful. What's the goal of ministry right now? Is it to build a big church? No. Is it to build a sexy church? No. Is it to build a cool Instagram-worthy church? No. Those things are all fruit and of the byproduct. The target in ministry is to build a faithful church. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful I don't know if there's any greater target for my life and your life than to simply be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you receive this today? Servants of Christ, 
stewards of the mysteries of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Parallel Leaders, where we help you target and evaluate your organization, leadership, or growth department under the microscope of eight growth points to optimize your effectiveness as a leader.